we are truly in the darkest timeline, so why not travel back to a simpler time, when your toughest choice was what to rent a blockbuster for the weekend, Face Off or Con Air. That's where the Talkbuster podcast comes in. Every episode, Chris Chipman is joined by a guest who relive their time working for Blockbuster. The good and the bad. It's a fun nostalgic dive that, if nothing else, is a great escape. Find the Talkbuster podcast on your favorite podcasting site today. Oh, and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Org, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, man? It is... I had this thought earlier today that I want to share, and I'm... I wonder how... Uh, well, I was at work, and out of nowhere I just went, belts are stupid. I, I want to try suspenders. <laughs> I don't own any, but... I don't know. Does that is there any relatability to that? <laughs> I've had that thought because yeah, belts are stupid in the sense that at least me personally, I am constantly buying belts at different sizes as I gain and lose weight. And suspenders seem to have the advantage of well, at least I buy a pair and they're more or less going to work. But the problem i see well there's a couple problems with suspenders one you gotta have the right outfit to pull it off so go on finish your thing and then i'll comment well i think you have, to, you have to have the right outfit to pull them off and two it's a whole lot more hassle if you got to take a leak i think or you know drop your trout at all all right so but the two two points in said Two I'm points. Mean, in, I, I'm pro suspenders. Yeah, two points in response to that, plus a third one. Yeah, the reason why I hate the belt because I don't have to replace my belts, but like, even if my belt is tight, it's holding my pants up. It's not necessarily holding them as high up as I want. I was wearing yes. jeans. I was wearing jeans today, and I crouched down to mess with something underneath my desk, and I'm like, oh, trying to pull my shirt down and pull my pants up. So even though my belt yep. is holding my pants up, it's not high enough. It was pissing me off. So. And the other two points. One, you could wear your suspenders just underneath your shirt, so it doesn't really matter visually. I think I wear an undershirt, though. You don't have to. I've read that there are suspenders of different materials and whatnot. You can just wear them on your skin. It would be fine. Interesting. And That's uh, weird. Go on. Yeah, and two, as far as the... I did think the, about the peeing thing as well, but, I mean, when I go... I think that would only be a problem if I was to, like, do more than just pee, because, like, I don't need to pull my pants down when I pee. I guess. Yeah, like I thought about it, like, no, actually taking a leak, it's it's not that complicated, you know. I can risk the zipper. Yeah, so I think uh, this week I'm going to go out and get myself a pair of, try to find a pair of comfortable suspenders and test that out for a while. So The other thing I'm curious about is I remember, because I've had to wear suspenders on a couple occasions, typically in, you know, formal dressing, is you're constantly doing the shoulder pull. And I'm not sure if the shoulder pull is more or less annoying than the ass grab. Mm, I think that it might be equally annoying, but the consequences to the people around you are less if you fail the maneuver. This is true. Anyway, these are the kind of things that are on my mind today. How are you doing today? Well, see, now I'm thinking about the old Duluth uh, catalogs with Crack spackle shirts. Hmm. I don't know if you remember those at all. I do not. So basically, it is a shirt with an extra long tail that's designed to prevent plumber's crack. Hmm. Okay, fair, fair. Very high quality stuff. Anyways, it's Christmas time or around Christmas time at time of recording. And this whole conversation got me there. Ah, uh, I have a very large, very strong old fashioned, so I'm in a very good mood. <laughs> so I was recently, I went on vacation with Wretched of. Uh, fan of their friend of the podcast a brother of mine and we were at a bar with uh, my girlfriend and his parents and uh, his dad you know loves whiskey and whatnot and I, I mean i started drinking hanging out with these people so we were actually talking way <laughs> yeah yeah in, in the good way i mean that but we actually were talking about various drinks and i mentioned an old-fashioned and he said something like that the only people who drink that are the people who drink it for to try to be classy, and then it tastes like, what do you call it? I I know that I responded by saying that I think it tastes like dirt, but <laughs> what kind of old fashions are you poor bastards drinking? I don't know, but it was really funny because the bartender came over and she heard this conversation and she said, "Well, old fashions are my favorite drink, so you apparently haven't had a good one, and I'll make you one." So she went and made one, and then me and him were both like. And this is better than other ones we've had, but it still doesn't taste good. So. Oh. 
I don't know what to say to that because I have, I have perfected my old fashioned recipe more or less in that I can eyeball my portioning, but I have had bad old fashions yeah. and yeah, a bad old fashioned is not a pleasant thing. Yeah, I don't know. Good like old if fashion's incredible. If anyone listening ever goes out to a bar with me, my standard drink of choice is probably a whiskey sour. So, okay. You got to explain whiskey sours to me because I thought a whiskey sour was something entirely different until literally yesterday when I watched how one was made, I'm like, oh, God, no. Yeah, I mean, it's just whiskey with, like, sour uh, syrup stuff in it. That is not a whiskey sour. <laughs> a whiskey sour has egg whites in it. Not any I've ever had. <laughs> See, I think you're drinking something different. Because a whiskey sour, as I learned it was prepared yesterday, is made with egg whites. Hmm. I'm looking it up right now. Hold on. Whiskey sour. Fascinating uh, content. <laughs> Let's see. Whiskey Sour from Bon Appetit has bourbon, lemon juice, simple syrup, orange wheel, maraschino cherry. According to this recipe. What the hell did I watch? Other ones I see have eggs, so I think there is such thing as egg whites in them, but I don't think that's the standard. Okay. I was afraid my dyslexia made me read something entirely different. No, I am seeing other ones that, other recipes that mention eggs. See, then that would totally put me off trying a whiskey sour. Yeah, like, right here. Hold on. A whiskey sour is a mixed drink containing whiskey, lemon juice, sugar, and optionally a dash of egg white. Yeah, the cocktail I saw called for egg whites tossed in and then filtered, uh, strained through. Well, I've never had one with egg whites in it, so I have no idea how that would change it. But I've had whiskey sour from a few different places, and it tends to be a drink I really like, so I don't know what to tell you. Again, when we eventually meet again in 12 years, I will <laughs> make you an old-fashioned <laughs> Well, I'm going to try to make a trip happen next year, so. Well, there is the one we have in mind, but we're not going to reveal that yet until it gets closer and we can actually make that concrete. That too. Anyway, I believe we've been on off. Our This intro has lasted like seven minutes already, so maybe we should get into the some The people love us. Yeah, exactly. Anyways, the people that love us more than others are our wonderful, wonderful patrons, they are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vade, Brendan Young, John Biddles, Kit Kenny, Seth Decker, Donald Lucy, Patrick Anderson, Karsten Amal, Scott Rubin, Derek Kelly, and Peter Cook. Now, if you'd like to express that love in a monetary fashion, head on over to patreon.com forward slash geeksforshield. 25 cents an episode keeps us free to all of you and gets you some nice bonus content. Which, real quick, before we get into the actual topic of the episode... Are we good to share that that review stuff that you showed me earlier? Yeah, I made that public. Okay, so for anyone listening who isn't part of our Discord, first of all, come join our Discord. We have <laughs> conversations. Join our Discord because by the time this is releasing, Twitter may not be around. And honestly, our Discord is so much more fun. It's become a lot more festive since we have a migration from Twitter happening. <laughs> but anyway, we just recently got from Spotify our like stats for the year or something like that. And other than the ridiculous animations that Spotify puts on it, which made me very mad, the actual information was really cool. And we found out things like, oh, we've grown in some followers, subscriber, or whatever count by like 36%. But one of the numbers that I found most interesting was just that we released something like 2.3 thousand minutes worth of content, which is something like in the top 10% of podcasts worth of content release. So... According Which, to Spotify. Yeah, like, Spotify, I'm, I'm questioning their numbers, because, like, we are, like, in the high percentage for a lot of podcasts. It's like, this is the podcasting side of Joe Rogan, which, bad as it is, like, that draws numbers. And we're in the same 10% category? Well, okay. it was it was comparing, like, I was thinking about that, and it was saying 10% of, like, people who, re- or of content release amount. So we released generally like four hours of content or more a month right yeah and i'm wondering how many podcasts are just like once a month or bi-weekly and i did also think like the averaging of the numbers does kind of bear out but yeah other things i saw uh we are on spotify alone we were listened to in 22 countries i think yep which i thought was neat <laughs> and i know that in the top four was australia and from what I can tell, Australia really loves podcasts in general, since they tend to be the biggest fan bases of several podcasts not based in Australia. Australia loves us. Australia 
shout out to our Australian fans. You have been some of our first and strongest fans, like across the analytics of the various podcasting hosts. Australia is always number two behind the U.S. And I can promise you, you won't hear me do any Australian accent because I can't. <laughs> I can do some accents. I can't do Australian. Listen, we are so close to Twitter dying. Don't get us canceled now. Exactly. And you won't have to worry about that. Anyway, point is, we saw these cool stats from Spotify, and I just wanted to verbally say, like, thank you to everyone who's been with us this year. Thank you to everyone who's been with us for the last, is it four years now we've been doing this? We're coming up on five. Coming up on five? Okay. That time of recording. All right. Well, thank you to everyone who's been with us for five years. Thank you for the the sharing and the growing. It's something like, of the... Of the shares, 95% of the shares were direct link shares. So thank you to people who contributed to that. And just, you know, it's an awesome year. Hope next year's awesome too. Yeah, the numbers bear out. You guys love us. <laughs> anyway, let's get into an actual topic of discussion. Yeah, we're doing a sequel to an episode you guys really, really loved. That is, we're doing another indie game roundup. Rock on. And we've prepared some grouping of indie games. Before we get into it, me and Ulrich, in the past one, we had a slight disagreement over what constitutes indie game. And I want to say up front that that basically establishes that there isn't really a defined definition of indie game. So if you're listening to this and you think something we mentioned isn't indie, sorry. (laughs) It maybe feels indie to us. We're not not going off a scientific principle. This is a feeling thing. The biggest thing is we try to avoid major developers and kind of do smaller studios. Like, one of the games I'm going to talk about was published by EA, but not developed by it. And so I think that it still constitutes an indie game. So Yeah, like, publishers, it's own weird, messy thing. But they're not the people making the game. Exactly. So, And, of course, like with any conversation, if you're listening and you have some indie game or you know something relevant to the topic we're discussing that we're not talking about tell us about it so maybe we'll look into it for next time but for now Ulrich why don't you kick us off all right I'm gonna go with one that I have banked hundreds of hours probably more in and is a true indie game in that there's like a dozen developers okay listening and that is going medieval I don't know it but Pardon if the recording picks up my keystrokes. I'm going to Google it as you talk about it. Going Medieval, again, is one of those peak Ulrich games, and it's a medieval city builder sim-style game with very simple graphics. But it does look like there's a lot of detail because one of the first images I'm seeing, you can zoom in down to, like, the individual plants that are being farmed. Yep. Yep. Basically, it's a little colony-style sim in that you start with X amount of people, like a small amount of people and a small amount of resources, and you build houses. And then, but it has some fun little sim aspects in certain settlers are better at certain things than others. Mm-hmm. And that they will acquire stats faster if they are doing things like mining or harvesting resources or building. And then, of course, certain things require higher stats. But it's a game that on the surface appears really simple. Okay. But then starts getting down to a bit, well, not, it's not overly complex, but there's definitely more complexness to it in that you're sort of thinking about production chains and food and crop rotation. It looks like all the images I'm seeing, though, the level, the scale we're talking about is like a fort level, not like a city, but like a. Oh, when you get going you can build as big as you want and as much as your imagination kind of, you know, goes to like the shit people can make. Cause it's also got building every, you build everything. Yeah. But the biggest thing I'm seeing is like a castle. Well, that's what most people build castles and people have built cities and have built big, grander things. The only reason you wouldn't really build a city is basically pathfinding resource navigation of the AI But you can build multiple level structures. You can build structures that are underground because other factors come into play. It's like, okay, well, in the summer, it's hotter. So you have to find a way to preserve your food. And you can do this by storing it underground or by having ice to cool it. And if you're listening to this and not Googling it like I am, the animation style looks like something between Sims and Age of Empires, if I were to take a stab at describing it. Yeah, it's really simple, but it's super addictive because it's a very slow grow 
kind of style game, but you always want to get to that next thing. Like, okay, I'm just going to finish this guardhouse, or I'm just going to finish... I'm just going to get some armor in case the next bandit raid comes up. Well, or... So I know in a in a post-Minecraft world, this question doesn't have the same meaning it used to, but what is the goal or the point when you start up a game? The main goal is to build a self-sustaining city, castle, fort, whatever you want to call it. And that entails having enough food that you don't have to worry about, food shortages, having enough clothes for both winter and summer, and being able to fend off raiders. Because raiders are kind of the big thing, and they will escalate. Like, the more times you see them off, then they come back with more and better stuff. Mm. Now, this game is still early access development, but they keep adding neat little things. Like, the most recent one they've added, and they've got a pretty decent roadmap, which I always love with these smaller indie titles. But the most recent one was it added trading so you could send people away to cities to get resources or trade resources it added crop rotation and crop blight so managing and rotating your crops became important and it added uh terraforming and cats and cats would keep down rats because rats would spread plague which could kill your settlers and it's most impressive when you consider this is a 12-man team i think wow. there's less than a dozen of them very cool and this and is available. I see on, I see on Steam and GOG. So, yeah, a lot of fun. I will say this up front again: all my games are available on Steam. Yeah, generally speaking, I play almost everything on Steam as well. So, if something, I literally avoid Epic. I'm sorry to anyone who might be a fan of Epic, but <laughs> I don't they like. Give Ep me free games. That's all I know or care. I don't like Epic's business practices, so... Oh, I'm sure there's something shadier, but I don't want to go peeking under that rock. Not even shady stuff. I just don't like that they do this thing where they put games in Epic jail, and then... <laughs> oh, yeah, that's less than desirable. Yeah. Anyway, don't need to get on that rant right now. We're talking about positive games. Okay, so you talked about a Sims slash city builder kind of game. I'm going to talk about something... Have you heard of Lost in Random? I have not. Okay. I had not heard of it either until, like I said, I went on vacation with my girlfriend and we went to see Wretched. We stayed at Wretched's place for uh, eight days, I think. And he had known about this game for a while, but he didn't really want to play it himself, even though he ended up playing a bit of himself. He wanted to watch someone play it, so he bought it for my girlfriend on Switch. So, And then we watched her play it. And when I first saw the trailer for it, I literally was turned off entirely by it because it looks like, on the surface, a hundred other kind of indie basic adventure games that I've seen made. And its style is very Tim Burton. Uh, I don't know how, how else to explain it. And when I looked up, when I later on, after I got into it and I looked up about it, it turns out that their main things were Tim Burton and stop motion, particularly the works of Laika, and I love Laika. So it does make sense that I eventually kind of was won over. But it is a... Primarily it's just an adventure game, as in you're going on a single-player story mode adventure. And it's this cute aesthetic that's very Nightmare for Christmas kind of Laika-y. And the plot line, as it were, is that there's this... It's a fantasy game, and there's this kingdom called, like, the Kingdom of Random. And Random is split up into six towns and each town is named after a number from one to six and when someone in this realm turns 12 no matter where they were born the queen shows up and the queen has this magic die this huge like two foot by two foot by two foot die or something and the person who just turned 12 chucks the die and whatever number it lands on that's the town they now get have to go live in so when you turn 12, the queen shows up, she's got this magic die, she chucks it, you find out what town you're going to go to, so like, someone who was born in four town might be sent to one town, and because it's of course a number system, there's a classist hierarchy thing, one town is a slum, and six town is a palace where the queen lives, and there used to be a bunch of magic die, and there were die wielders, and a magic war, queen's the only one left, and the plot line is that you play this girl named even who has this sister named odd and on odd's 12th birthday they live in one town 
The queen shows up, chucks the die, lands on one, but then, ooh, it mysteriously shifts over to six, so queen takes her. A year later, even gets a message, or, well, a ghost shows up and leaves her one of Odd's toys. This is sounding strangely familiar now. Yeah, and so then Odd goes on a journey to try to find her sister, and along the way she finds a magic die that's, that's sentient, like they can grow arms and stuff and legs, it's called Dicey, and this allows her to start moving through the towns, and each town has a different gimmick, like Two Town, because it's a two, right, they all have split personalities, and everything is doubled, like there's two moons, like the mayor of Two Town literally has like another mayor growing out of his head that's named Royem, who's trying to build a second moon and then there's a combat system that involves like it's real time but you use a slingshot to shoot at crystals that are built on like the enemies which are all like robots and stuff and when you shoot the crystals off you collect them it builds up a gauge the gauge fills up you throw the die it freezes time and then a deck of cards comes out of the dice that you you know build and modify and stuff which allows you to do things like summon a bow and arrow or summon a sword or summon a bomb and I don't know. It's it's really fun. It's really funny. Like it has a great sense of humor and it looks really good once I got past my initial like tur- turned off uh from it. I I kind of I got really into it and yeah, I'm just amazed at how impressive it seems. I didn't even get very far. I I was watching someone else play it and we only got to the beginning of 3 Town. 3 Town's gimmick is that there's a civil war going on between like the three top families of 3 Town. So Okay, I looked this up. I have. I remember the trailers for this, and I think I watched a let's play of it. But I, I it's been so I can't remember. Yeah, it is published by EA, but it was specifically published under their like indie games program by a, a company that I don't know the name of it. It's like Zoink something, but I had never heard of it before. So, uh, Zoink Games and Thunderfall Group. Yeah, there you go. Interesting. No, this looks quirky and weird and interesting and everything an indie game should be yeah and again i've seen enough of that that didn't work that it turned me off at first but that's why i'm saying now that this one is is good it's complex it's funny it's a good story it's got a compelling like actual gameplay system i looked up other people's reviews and literally the only downside i saw anyone talking about was that its pacing can be a bit odd and that some of the quests can take a long time to finish comparatively and I was like, oh, so there's more of the game than there than you might think from a game that looks like that. Whoop de doo. So Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Anyway, so it's just a that's that's it. I don't know what else to say about it. I didn't get to the end. So But I have no. I have hypothesis about where it was going, because of course once you introduce a class system like that, then you're obviously gonna be saying something. Like I'm pretty sure that if we if the game gets you to six town, there's gonna be some reveal that there's some corruption going on that make lets the Sixers not actually ever get sent to other towns or something. But that's just my hypothesis. Wait, you're telling me that a class-based hierarchical system might be corrupt? I know, right? But just bear with me here. <laughs> I can't believe it. That just sounds outrageous. The thing that really surprised me was that the game could actually get, like, scary is not the right word, but once you get to Three Town, there's an entity that shows up called, I think it's called the Shadow Man? that looks like a leather daddy gimp with no lips, like a Hellraiser thing, that eats children by just opening its chest and sucking them in. And it it was like, wow, that feels like we stepped up a few levels from what was going on before. <laughs> yeah, no thank you. No thank you to all of that. Yeah, like the last level had uh, the boss was constantly trying to rhyme and failing and our and our character was yelling at him for being sucky at rhyming and now we're dealing with this hellraiser motherfucker so yeah no <laughs> but yeah i i don't remember how expensive it is i'm pretty sure it's not that expensive but it's on switch i don't know if it's on anything else but i highly recommend it all right uh my next one is one i know that we have discussed on this podcast i love it it is getting an update here soon, which potentially by the time it releases out, I'm going to talk about Broforce. Oh, we've definitely talked about Broforce. I know we've talked about Broforce, but go on. We have talked about Broforce because I love Broforce because it is so much fun. Okay. I mean, go for Broforce it. Broforce 
is a side-scrolling shooter in the vein of Metal Slug. Which is awesome. Populated by 80s and 90s and early aughts action hero characters with bro forced somewhere in their name. Yeah, if you can think Uh, of a movie anywhere as far back as the 1970s that was an action movie in any way... There's probably a bro reference to it. Yeah, I mean, bro Giver, bro Nan, the bro. What is a uh, Robocop? Is that Robocop, one? the Brominator. What's uh, what's the Ellen Ripley one? This is the one that always is incredibly forced, and we always forget. It's like Brolin Rip, uh, Rip uh, Ellen Ripro. Ellen Ripro, yeah, something like that. Yeah, that one was incredibly tortured, but. What makes this kind of fun and unique is you unlock lives and extra bros by rescue by you know going on the missions and unlocking them, but you don't get to pick the bro that you get when you get that extra life, and they each have different styles of playing and special attacks. Yeah, like some of them are actually you know just metal slug characters. Like I'm pretty sure that uh, Dutch from Predator is in there, and he just has you know a big gun, but also the Predator. Yeah, but also Blade is in there, and I'm pretty sure when Blade shows up that he just uses a sword, so you're forced to do Yeah, but he's super fast. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's constantly causing you to making you change up how you play your game because you're going along, you die, and then all of a sudden you have an entirely different bro. It's like, fuck, I have to change my play style. And... It's getting an update, which I'm super excited about, which is, you know, Broforce Bros Forever. <laughs> and it's very tongue-in-cheek in its style of game in that you start by just fighting random dudes mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, are the backdrop of any 80s action film. But then you graduate to fighting demons and the devil and eventually xenomorphs. And the xenomorphs are some of the most fun but difficult levels i've ever played because sometimes the xenomorph will just keep spawning no matter how many you kill so there's just this mounting wave of unkillable they just keep coming and they're getting more and more and you have to keep moving forward but this death wave is coming behind you that you can't stop but you have to turn around and shoot every once in a while i'm having flashbacks to the sewer uh the sewer surfing level of turtles in time with the pizza xenomorphs yeah something like that and I just love this game because it is so simple, but it's perfectly crafted in its simplicity. Yeah. Well, also, Broforce is a good example of basically a single joke taken to an extreme and delivered competently. Because the actual gameplay itself is not extremely complex, but it's very satisfying. It's just platforming and killing things. It's... Again, like Metal Slug, but not quite as complicated as Metal Slug. A little more... I don't know. There's another game, but I can't think of what it is. But again, the, a lot of it is the just the the joy, and joy I think is the right word, of what bro am I going to get next? And, and what are the jokes? And discovering new bros. and Yeah, no. Again, simple game, simple premise, and I love it because it is just so much fun. And I think the best part is it's difficult without becoming a bullet hell. Yeah, okay. And, like, I can enjoy a good bullet hell, but at the same time, fuck no. Hmm. I, I played some arcade bullet hells back in the day, but the, at least the ones that were, you know, like a plane or whatever. The last bullet hell I probably played was Enter the Gungeon, and I was no good at that. <laughs> oh, I fucking suck at, you know, bullet hells, but I still enjoy the hell out of them. And Broforce is nestled right in that little sweet spot of, okay, this is fun. I can do this. I don't know, it kind of gives me Contra vibes. Oh, yeah, Contra. I can see that. <laughs> Which is ironic, given everything about Contra. Yeah. What's Broforce? I know Broforce you said on Steam, but I'm pretty sure that's also available on Switch as well. I think it's available on all the platforms at this point. It's a fairly old game. But again, getting a free update. Yeah, very cool. On a related note, I wasn't going to talk about this one, but you just reminded me of it. I also, over the the vacation, played a full run of Shooters, Blood, and Teeth. I have been watching Twitch stream of this, and I, I need this game in my life. Yes, for anyone who doesn't know, 
Well, first of all, for anyone who doesn't know, me and Ulrich are both Warhammer people. 40k specifically, but I'm branching out into Fantasy and Sigmar. So, but we have a whole sister, you know, side kind of podcast, Geeks of Grimdark, to discuss 40k stuff. So, and, well, Warhammer stuff in general. So, Shooters Blood and Teeth is a Warhammer property game that is basically Metal Slug, but its style is closer to Paper Mario, and you play as an orc doing orc things. I don't know how to pitch it it's any more than that. The mo- it, it's very 40k. And yeah. I I mean, the, there's fun lore deep cuts in the background. Yeah, at the beginning you get to choose one of, I think, four, no, five different kinds of orcs. You can be a weird boy, which gives you some kind of psychic power. You could be a beast snaga who is really good at doing melee stuff. You can be a storm boy who has a jetpack. Maybe it's only four, because the last one I know is that a flash get, which is what I played. And a flash get, I think, is the easily the best one because they have infinite ammo. So you just never stop shooting. <laughs> and as you play through it, the, the plot line, right, is that you're part of this orc wah, this bad moons wah, although while you're playing you can look like any clan you want. You get to kind of customize your, your orc boy. But you're on this ship shooting as you're invading some uh, hive world, some Imperium hive world. And if you don't know 40k and this is nonsense to you, I don't know what to tell you. It's a fun, funny sci-fi game. Anyway. Again, do you like games like Broforce and Metal Slug? Then you're going to enjoy this. Do you like 40k as well? Then you're really going to enjoy this. So you're invading this Imperium world, and then literally the opening cutscene is that your character is on a ship shooting out, and the war boss is on the ship, and he looks at you, and you have a, a hair squig, and he really likes your hair squig. So he takes it and kicks you off the ship. And then your goal is to get your hair squig back and crump anyone who gets in your way. Yeah, no, it's it's it looks like so much fun. Yeah, and you get all these kind of different kinds of weapons. There are, I think, six weapon categories, and each one has four options. And I there are some that stand out way above the others. But they're all, like, fun. E- example. The most effective weapon, bar none, is the Bolta, which is basically an orc bolter gun. And it just far outshines anything else when it comes to damage. So if you just want to, like, beat the game, the Bolta's the way to go. But if you want to have, like, some ridiculous fun, I think the most fun weapon is, I think it's called the Scatter Gun. And it's basically a bunch of Imperium LAS rifles that have been shoved together into a <laughs> shotgun. Nice. And so it shoots shotgun lasers that bounce off things. So you never stop shooting and you just fill the rooms you're in with bouncing lasers. Yeah, no, I've been watching uh, some people play this game and it's like, oh, this looks like a fun couchside co-op game. And it knows the world it's in. Like, it really does have these fun, like, 40K fans will love it. And I think even non-40K fans are like, I don't know what this is, but this looks like fun, which is the best foot that 40k can put forward. Yeah, there are a few games out right now that I feel like are good gateway drugs to the hobby, as it were. Like, we're not going to talk about Dark Tide, because I don't think Dark Tide's an indie game, but Dark Tide is out right now, and it's amazing, and it's a great intro to, like, the grim dark aspect of 40k. But Shoot Us Blood and Teeth is a great intro to what I feel like is the soul of 40k, which is that this is fun. It's ridiculous, over-the-top, and fun. Yeah, and dumb. <laughs> yeah, and dumb. But that's all right. It's okay to be dumb. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like too often people forget that at the very core of 40K, it's not grimdark seriousness, it's stupidity. Yeah, orcs have this thing, they're, they're these pets called squigs, which are like little sharks with legs, and one of the weapons you can get is called... Get Seeker missiles, and it's a missile launcher, but every missile you launch has a squig strapped to it that steers it into the nearest enemy. Yeah, no, this game looks like a blast. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's also very short. I beat it in, I think, three sitting sessions, and but it goes some great places. It is difficult without being, you know, ridiculous, and I would love to try playing it multiplayer. It was a good time. So, 
Yeah, so that means you got you beat the night, which I think was the highlight of my experience oh, so far. Yeah, I I don't want to spoil it though. I do want to talk about that, but I'm not going to spoil it because yes, at one point an imperial knight shows up, and it's hilarious. I'm not saying anymore. Yeah, when you get if you've been there, you know, and that's all I'll say. Yeah, although uh, I personally think even funnier is what happens after the night. But anyway, moving on. Again, I'm going to do another one that's an obvious Ulrich column. And that is Starship Troopers Terran Command. I I think you've mentioned this to me before, but I don't think you've ever mentioned it in recording. It's Starship Troopers. My radar goes up for anything Starship Troopers. It's a kind of sort of RTS in that you don't really have base building or resource gathering. It's more about tactical placement of your units. Okay. But it is set in the movie universe of Starship Troopers, very tongue-in-cheek. Again, with complete with announcer voice and propaganda overlay. Mmm, that sounds funny. Yeah, so there's very much that. But basically, each... It looks... Playing... Uh, I'm looking at screenshots right now. It's got kind of a Command and Conquer vibe. Yeah. I mean, you have fixed squads... And they have various missions, and they all kind of play in, like, the ongoing war against the Arachnids. But its big thing is, and this is actually a really nice touch, units cannot fire through each other. Okay. And you are always outnumbered. Mm. So unit placement and synergy is key. Okay. So it's all about tactical plays, like finding choke points that will funnel the enemy towards you, or putting your units on the high ground so you can get overlapping fire or phase withdrawals and simple little stuff like that. But it feels like this is just a continuation of the Starship Troopers universe. As a quick side note, uh, apparently, and I have experienced this myself, but in uh, Total Warhammer 3, they made like terrain way more finicky with gun units. And uh, <laughs> I can tell you as someone who plays Skaven that, yeah, sometimes... Getting those like specific hill placements is vital to making that work. Anyway, continue. Yeah, there's a lot of that in this, in that all oh, couple of units are slightly touching base. That means they can't fire, and oh no, here come the warrior bugs. Hmm. And it feels like this was made like the team genuinely loves Starship Troopers because they went deep to pull some stuff out. Like, they do the Marauders, which is stuff that's only ever mentioned in, like, the cartoon show and the third Starship Troopers. I see what looks like a stink bug. Like a giant stink bug. <laughs> hmm. That might be the plasma bug, and they're a bitch. But the game is just a blast. And it's a little bit finicky because, again, smaller studio, it's got its rough edges. But it, it it's a it's different than so many RTSs. Like, there's not this sense of gotta gather resources, gotta build the base as much as it is focusing on, like, all right, what is the absolute best position that I can lay out here that I can win against this horde of enemies coming at me? And what is the best investment of my limited resources? Like, do I want another squad of riflemen, or should I go and get some sharpshooters? Honestly, that makes it sound closer in essence to a tower defense game it's got some strong tower defense vibes because again you're always overwhelmed which is kind of how this game should be my only real complaint is there's no mode that lets you play as the arachnids mm, so you're you're just defending against arachnids okay well yeah you're just and i mean some missions are kind of moving out and there are defensive missions and there's various mission types but I it still sounds see... like a tower defense, though. I mean, you've got limited resources yeah. and placements more important than... It's literally about, like, how do you place your your units so that they can murder an oncoming horde as effectively and quickly as possible. Yeah, just imagine the towers could walk. Yeah, yeah, okay. But I want to see what they could do in the inverse. Like, what does it look like when you just have, you know, hordes to throw at people? How does that game play? I imagine it would be something like like you have a limited number of spawning points and you have to figure out what the best way to build your horde is to try to get past a defensive, a already set up fortress. So yeah, I can imagine that being fun. 
And they're still plugging away and working on it, which is always nice to see. I mean, again, I think it's a smaller team. This is actively being worked on right now? Yeah, they're still developing and adding content. That's cool. I just didn't think it... I, when you said Starship Troopers, I figured it must be an older game, but... Hmm. No, this just came out, which is weird when you think about it, Like, But uh, I have to remember, Starship Troopers is a cult movie that has only recently gained the love that it should have had. I guess. Which is still <laughs> weird that it had a cartoon show and a board game and an RPG yeah, game. Yeah, dude, but and... so did RoboCop. And anyone who's actually seen RoboCop knows how weird that is. But everyone loved RoboCop. Starship Troopers bombed and yet has this little breadcrumb trail of stuff. Gotta love Paul Verhoeven in general, man. <laughs> Duh, the Mad Dutchman, man. Okay, okay. For my next game, because I actually have no idea how many we're going to talk about, but I'm just keeping an eye on the timer here. For my next game, I'm going to talk about... So recently, uh, God of War Ragnarok has been like big in my YouTube, because that came out what last month or something like that. I, I didn't like that. Yeah, I didn't buy it, and I'm not talking about it because it's definitely not an indie game. But I, I love God of War 1 uh, and God of War 5 or 4 or whatever. I like God of War as a franchise. It's good. But these new ones, the Norse ones, right, they feel very different from the original. And a lot of the reason for that is because the team that made God of War on the PlayStation 4 was inspired heavily, especially the lead director. Like, the rest of the team hadn't played this game, but the director had. And then, or, well, he knew about it because it was in development. Anyway, it's called Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. This has been on my Steam wish list forever, and eventually I will buy it and play it because I've heard nothing but good things. And like I said, it's a big inspiration for how the God of the new God of War games are. Literally, like basic idea: the new God of War games don't have cutscenes, and they the game other than loading screens, like getting into the game and whatnot, they are done all in uh, single shots or like a single shot. And when the director originally pitched that, his team was like that's a lot of work. I don't know if that's going to be worth it. And he said, well, there's this other game studio or this game that's being made that does that. And, and then it came out and he had them play it and they were like, okay, we get it. We're going to do that. <laughs> so anyway, Hellblade, it is a short game. It only takes about seven hours to complete. It's made by, I, I want to say Ninja Theory. I know it's one of the Ninja companies. I don't know. But one cool thing off the bat, no publisher. It was made entirely without a publisher. And so that meant that when it first came out, it was 30 bucks. It was literally just the developers released it themselves. And to me, it was proof that you don't need publishers. They're parasites on the video game industry. Anyway, but the point or the plot of what Hellblade is, is that you play this Celtic woman who named Senua, who comes home from battle, essentially a war, to find that her village was attacked by Norse raiders, uh, Viking raiders, and that her husband, uh, the only person who understood her, has been killed. In fact, he is, like, uh, flayed, eagled, or the, the bloody eagle. There we go. So she's like, all right, I need to bring him back to life. So she takes his head, <laughs> which you don't know that's what she has at first, so loose spoiler, and her journey is to go into the underworld the Nordic underworld and get his soul back because he was sacrificed to Norse gods. So his soul is being claimed by the Norse afterlife. So she's on a journey into the Norse afterlife to get him back, even though she's, she's a Celt. And <laughs> I love that as a theory, because I've long thought about it. It's like who claims your soul if you are dedicated to one set of gods but sacrificed to another, do they draw up lines? Or is it more like a Phoenix Wright court case? Uh, apparently the latter. <laughs> anyway, the the big sticking point, or not sticking point, one of the big draws of the game, though, is that the, the developers got in contact with, I don't know what organization exactly, but it's like a national organization for mental health so they could have a proper understanding of schizophrenia because Senua is schizophrenic, and you you need to play the game with headphones because the audio is putting you into the experience that she is having. That's why her husband is so important because everyone else thought she was like a monster. He's the only one to treat her like a person because of her darkness. They keep calling it darkness. They never say the word schizophrenia because, of course, that word didn't exist for these people. But it also calls into question your whole journey. 
how much of it is real and how much of it is her having a disconnect from reality. So, uh, and then the combat's good. It's it's not the the main reason you play is for the story, the atmosphere, and the very strong effect that the whole like mental illness thing's happening. But the combat's solid. It's it's not wonderful. It's not God of War level, but it's it's it feels similar to that, and so it's quite fun. Yeah, no, this is one I've had my eye on forever, and eventually I will get around to playing it because again, I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah, and I just I thought that especially with God of War and God of War Ragnarok being so big and popular that like Hellblade being a big part of the makeup of those new God of War games deserves more attention. I feel like it's gotten a lot of attention the last few years, but I still think it deserves more. So <laughs> No, this is like a game that was popular pre-release, popular through release, and is this like had popular word of mouth continually. Yeah, I I don't know everywhere it's available but i know it's available on steam both as a regular experience and a vr experience i haven't tried the vr one i i'm i'm iffy on vr i've had some good vr experiences but but if anything you should get it and play it with headphones that's my recommendation so all right i will do one last one real quick and i'll do one more after you so okay i'm going to suggest a straight up tower defense game I'm going to talk about Toy Soldiers. That based on the movie? No. Okay. <laughs> that would be an interesting video game. Well, there was a Toy Soldiers video game that I remember liking when I was younger, but I don't remember any details about it. I think you mean Small Soldiers, because Toy Soldiers is a very different movie. Oh, you're right. I, you're right. You're right. <laughs> the five people that have seen Toy Soldiers go, what the fuck is he talking about? Never mind. I retract my statement. <laughs> <laughs> the movie where the military school is invaded by terrorists? Anyway, Toy Soldiers the game. <laughs> yes. So there are technically two games, but they all get bundled together on Steam. It is a tower defense game, the first one, set in World War One, but with little toy men on a in a child's bedroom in a very elaborate battlefield that most warhammer people would be jealous of not just little toy men it looks like specifically those like the little green army men from like toy story and that a lot of us had buckets of when we were younger or at least yeah because the idea is it's basically kids playing at war but they're semi-themed by the way period sidebar when was the last time you saw those i bought some for my daughter about two years ago Good on you, because I haven't seen Little Green Army Men in probably, like, 20 years. And I was wondering if, quote-unquote, the younger people, like, if that's still a thing. <laughs> the quality either has severely dis- diminished, or my memory of them was much better. But, side tangent real quick. When we were kids, those things were everywhere. They covered every damn period, and we had dozens of them. I went to. I, I had hundreds, to be honest. Yeah, and my my mother worked late because she worked in a, a casino as a waitress, so I had to go to a daycare center until like eleven at night for most of my childhood, and I went to multiple daycare centers across my life, and all of them had those things and lots of them. <laughs> so. I yeah, I don't know where they went, but no, they used to be. Around. But anyway, the best ones, the best ones were always the ones that had parachutes attached to them, so you could chuck them and then they would fall down slowly. <laughs> No, I hated those ones because they always got tangled up in their, you know, lines. Well, you didn't take care of them well enough then. (laughs) I had to stage epic battles. I didn't have time to recover everybody. Anyway, toy soldiers. Anyways, the game kind of simulates that fun thing you had as a kid. You build up your little towers, either in machine guns, mortars, cannons, what have you, to face off varying waves. But it's also kind of themed around the First World War. Okay. Trenches. Yeah, and they have these oncoming waves of infantry, tanks, cavalry, and then the final end-level boss is something sometimes based in history, like the Tsar tank, and other times it's like a giant wind-up robot. (laughs) I love the idea of like just being a cat, like a house cat. (laughs) Yeah, and it's really fun. It's kind of scaling difficulty, but then they made a sequel which is all 80s based. Okay. About a Cold War that went hot. 
Oh, all right. And it added things like unlockable heroes and uplates. And one of the unlockable heroes is a Rambo toy. Oh, I see it. Yeah. And again, this is a night and day difference. If you're looking for something kind of grounded and fun, you play Toy Soldiers the World War One. If you're looking for something dumb and stupid and over the top, you play the sequel game, which does have end game enemies like uh, giant robots or spaceships or. But one of the most fun things I think is that it kind of tips its hand both in both games, like one of the towers you can unlock is a can of bug spray and a lighter. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Which is great as, you know, this is alongside the wind-up tanks and this period-accurate artillery piece, and over here is my dudes with bug spray. Love it. I love that. That's not the kind of thing that would just put a big smile on my face while I was playing. It's just one of those fun games I love to dive back into, and it has really cool vehicle controls, like you can hop into tanks and planes to do extra damage. And it, it it's something different from the tower defense genre, which kind of sometimes feels played out. Yeah, I mean, the only tower defense I really played was uh, tabletop tower defense, and I had a lot of fun with that, but that was enough for me. <laughs> yeah, I just love this one because it kind of, you know, oh, there's some fun history to this. And, oh, this is like when I was little playing with my army guys, except now I have actual artillery. All right. Well, you have time for one more, and it's my turn. And I'm going to do another game that was bought for me by Wretched because Wretched has this habit of finding... He, he does Humble Bundles all the time, and so he... Humble Bundle is great. I recently discovered Humble Bundle, and I love them. Yeah, I, I don't do that because I have a kind of an organization mind issue. But point is, he does it, he discovers these new games, and then he'll just buy them for me so that we can play together. And I'm usually playing with him, my buddy Kari, and my friend Nick. We have Thursday night game nights. And right now we're... Uh, in the middle of, like, three different games, one of which is called Across the Obelisk. I want to say something clearly. I mentioned earlier in Lost and Random that that's a... It's like a in-time action game that also has a time-stop mechanic and a card mechanic, like decks. I hate trading card games. Okay, that's too far. I've never been able to really be into trading card games. When I was yep. in middle school... I played some Yu-Gi-Oh, but I never got good at it because I was in middle school and didn't know what I was doing. So You and I both came up in the time of Pokemon was king. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Like, I mean, we never I I personally I never got into the cards. I played I, I played a them. Game Boy game that taught me how to play the Pokemon card game, but I never collected well, Pokemon cards. Of the rest of us, no one none of us fucking knew how to play it. Yeah, I knew I knew how to play it, but I never collected them. And I I tried to collect Yu-Gi-Oh for a while, but like I said, I had no idea how it worked. And then by the time years later, I played a video game that taught me how it worked. Again, I, that's two different. If you keep trying, that's two different video games teaching me how two different card games worked. I realized that because I don't like collecting things, and I don't like my life being cluttered by stuff the idea of a collectible card game where part of the hobby was buying random packs and just hoping you got what you needed that yep drives me crazy i don't like no. forced gambling i, I there's don't that there's the random element and i discovered in my love of warhammer i need a 3d tac tactile element to it yeah. i can't do card games now because i need to be able to touch the pieces i still think that something like warhammer is superior because I, I like you i like models more but across the obelisk is a card game kind of mixed with darkest dungeon and it started teaching me to think about cards games a little differently because the decks are small they're only 15 uh, like your minimum is 15 cards but one of the first lessons that my friends who are really into card games taught me is you want to keep to 15 cards as much as possible. You do not want to go larger than that. You mentioned the randomness. Apparently, part of the appeal of actual card games is figuring out how to minimize the randomness. It's called building deck consistency. And this is an idea that Across the Obelisk taught me without like forcing it on me. The basic premise of Across the Obelisk is that you... There's a princess, she was stolen, you know, you were a adventurer and or a group of adventurers. If you're playing solo, 
then you're four adventurers, and you're going on a mission, it's a roguelike, essentially, to get her back. But, cool thing, it's multiplayer, and we play with four people so that each one of us just plays one adventurer, and then you're in a party, and it's, I think, way better that way. But, anyway, and you have kind of turn-based, looks like Darkest Dungeon, and then it's kind of like a sprite thing, you've got your four sprites, and then the enemy four sprites, and they're in placements, and then on your turn you have energy that you can spend to play cards to do these kind of things and there's a lot of different kind of characters there's your standard ones like there's very obviously based on aragorn ranger but there's also like a warlock rat man named zek that is the one i like the most or there's an illithid mind flayer priest that so it's comes to cool characters cool designs and it's teaching me it has taught me to appreciate card games more to the point where i've started considering like looking at some actual card games but Again, limited because <laughs> don't don't go down that path. Well, I have I have numerous people in my social circle who are really experienced with these things. So, like, because I will never accept like random pack bullshit. Like, if I if I get into, for example, Wretched used to do like Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments. So does uh, Woundvog. So does Denim, who I've talked about. So does Stevie, who's been on the channel or been on our podcast a few times and if i were to play Yu-Gi-Oh, i told them like i want just give me the one deck let's build it and then i don't want to have to fuck with it i don't want to have to like modify it so they the one that wretched recommended was called gravekeepers like okay i can get 40 cards i don't have to like do random searching for it because the cards are relatively cheap i can just build the deck i want and then just play with my friends so that's kind of a a thing i might look into similar that was the logic that led you to 40k Yes, and I have, and I do not regret getting into 40k. So, because well, 40k is better than any card game, because at least at the end of the day, you can display your cool models. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you because I agree with that. But the idea of being no able one has ever said, "Hey, check out my cool cards in the cave." Well, no one has said that. I have had friends be like, "Hey, you want to play with me?" To other friends, and I've been like, "Oh, I can't be part of that." And it would be cool to be part of that with my friends. Is all I mean. Just make your friends build you the you know, dick around deck. Yeah, that's that's isn't that what I said? I thought that's what I said. Well, you're paying for it. I'm saying like I'm saying if card listen card folks, listen to me. If you want non-card people to play with you. Have a deck on hand at all times. You can just go, here you go. I made this deck. It's user-friendly. There you go. Yeah. Instead of asking us to invest in a card game that we may or may not like. I mean, literally for me, the big the big killing point is the gambling aspect. I do not... Oh, fuck yeah. Well, yeah. it's the gambling aspect. And again, I need that tactile 3D element plus... When I have my entire army laid out in front of me, that is so much more invis- visibly appealing than look at my binders full of paper. I agree Which with you, but anyway, I'm now thinking of my giant ass library. Point is, across the obelisk is essentially darkest dungeon, but with a more lighthearted fantasy vibe and a deck building aspect to it, and it's very satisfying, especially if you've got three friends to play it with. That's all our the indie games we have to talk about today. I have at least three more on my list that I didn't talk about, and Ulrich's got four more on his list. So if you're into this, we'll do another one. Yeah, you guys really honestly loved the first one. If you love this one, let us know, because we will keep doing these ones as long as we can find indie games to talk about. I mean, I'm, I think I'm starting to get to the bottom of my list, but I don't play as many games as I want to. Nobody does. <laughs> anyway, before we go, let's do our suggestions of the week, which neither one of us chose a game, so these are like completely separate things. But I'll get right into it by saying that recently I was on Netflix because I was looking for something to just listen to or to, to kind of watch while I was eating. And uh, comedian Hassan Minaj put out a new comedy special called The King's Gesture. Anyone who saw his first special, Homecoming, you basically know what you're getting into. But uh, Or if you, you know, he did a tenure on The Daily Show for a while. Samanaj is is real funny and he's really mm, biting. He's very good at he he literally in King's Gesture he talks about how for a while he was attacking literally some of the most dangerous people in the world, like yep. super rich, powerful rulers of foreign countries that might actually try to kill him and his family. And he talks about that in a special and it's hilarious. So there, just it's worth an hour of your time. <laughs> 
I always liked him on uh, The Daily Show. Yeah, well, if you haven't seen King's Gesture, go check it out. <laughs> I think it's on my list. I'll have to get around to it. All right, so mine's a weird one, because I'm talking about the second season of a show that I've already talked about. And I'm going to assume that you've either seen said show or you don't care. I'm talking about Primal Season 2. For anyone who somehow missed it the first time, Primal is the new quote-unquote new show from Gendy Tartakovsky, the guy who made Samurai Jack. He made other things. like he made Samurai Ho- Jack, Megas XLR, uh, Symbionic Titan, and then to finance this, all of the Hotel Transylvania movies. Funny enough, that's the one he's probably most well-known for now, just because Hotel Transylvania is ridiculously popular. But really, you can tell he made those as a way to get money so he could make Primal. <laughs> Yes, Primal is the show about the caveman-dinosaur friendship that is, the first season is a treatise on grief and mourning. Yeah, this is not a spoiler, so I, I have not finished the whole series, but I know what happens in the whole series, just because... Oh, that ending broke me. Yeah, but for anyone who doesn't know, in season one, I'm not going to spoil season one, but I will spoil the first episode, because the first episode of season one involves Spear as his name is, because he's a caveman. He doesn't actually speak, but he has a spear, so we call him that. He comes home. His family is murdered by T-Rexes. This literally happens in the first scene, so it's not a spoiler. And then he goes on a revenge quest and finds the T-Rexes after they have murdered a family of other smaller T-Rexes, except for the mother. He and the mother work together to kill the quote-unquote evil T-Rexes. Then Spear and the small t-rex mother now known as fang team up to survive because they live in a harsh world and so they go out just trying to survive and they go on adventures so season one again it's a treatise on grief that is done entirely with no dialogue and is not only some of the most the best animated tv programming i've seen in a while it is some of the most well written and again remember no spoken dialogue if you have seen samurai jack first of all if you've seen samurai jack and you don't like it i don't believe you're real and you don't exist but (laughs) so if you've seen samurai jack you know that what genny tarkovsky can do with silence well he takes that approach and does the entire show for primal i've heard that in season two he breaks that a bit with some other characters that show up but for the most part it's still like a of completely visual and like musical experience. So season two busts the knobs off the insanity meter. And yes, there's dialogue, but it's not in English. So you really aren't gaining anything, but these people are speaking. Season two is better than season one. Hmm. It goes and it expands. Okay. Scratch oh, and if is. I'm, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I've heard that season two also has a, definitive ending so like he has said that is the end of the series this is all the story he wants to tell with spang and fang and spear if he comes back for a season three it's going to be something entirely new which again with with gendy he's so good at this that it would probably be great too so like again to do a season three but he's already got like four other projects lined up yeah again i while i did not finish primal it was more because primal as a show didn't speak to my personal sensibilities i think it's amazing i think it's one of the best constructed animations i've ever seen but it also made me feel very uncomfortable in a way i was not jumping at the bit to get back to (laughs) oh it's it's a it's a it's a watch I watched this with my daughter, who loves it, and who continues to surprise me in her ability to pick up the subtext of it all. Go, yeah, go Maya. Like, 100% getting the things that are going on, and just going, holy shit, I am fucked, you are too damn smart. Hmm, Cool. But season two, snaps the knobs off everything and really leans into the Conan the Barbarian elements. All right, rock on while also delivering that heartbreaking moments that that first season did. And where is it available? It is on HBO Max. Okay. For now. For now. And I will just say it has a perfect ending that, again, 
is probably some of the most heartbreaking. It is my favorite show of the year. And that ending really is so bittersweet and perfect. I love it. All right. Eventually, we will do something on Primal because I think it's worth talking about. Okay, which will force me to watch the rest of it. <laughs> I get it. It's hard to watch at times because this is super R-rated. Like, don't get me wrong. Oh, God, there's a three-episode arc that is not only the most what-the-fuck-is-this-world, but just this perfect kind of thought experiment on the dehumanization of war. All right. I love this show so much. Okay. Uh, well, I think that makes it time to take us in the outro. All right. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, subscribe, especially the share thing, because as the if Twitter still exists, I don't know where people are sharing this, but please share it because our main ability to share has been severely kneecapped at time of recording. I I think that Twitter will probably... You know what? No, I'm not going <laughs> to... Don't say it because we don't know what state it's going to be when this releases. Yeah, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stop there and say I hope for the best. But for now, you can find us on most of the podcast sites as well as the firesidealliance.com which is this special place where we've teamed up with a lot of other podcast slash content creator people including our shield brother uh chris the chippa chipman and uh, you know a lot of other people we have a discord with them we chat it's they're good people uh but we're also on spotify specifically i mentioned at the top of this episode that they did a, a year-end review thing for us so if you listen to us there that'll contribute to next year's plus you can rate us if you rate us five stars, it it makes the algorithm gods happier with us because we live in this ridiculous dystopian society where four stars is somehow a failure. I know. I think it's disgusting too, but this is the world we live in. So, Yay! <laughs> and if there's some other platform that we're not on, if you look for us on your favorite podcasting site and we aren't there, well, tell us about it and we'll see if we can. There are some that we've been told about that we can't, but... Maybe we don't know about yours, so tell us about it. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable. <laughs>